The Where Our Minds Wander podcast may contain sensitive content. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Where Our Minds Wander, all you fellow wanders. Thank you for joining us. I'm Wes, and that's my wife and co-host, Beth. Hello, everyone. We're glad to have you. That we are, and we've got some exciting news to share. We mentioned it last week, but we want to mention it again. Beth and I will be at the Whitehall, New York Sasquatch Festival on September 30th. Yes. So if you're into Bigfoot and you're in the area and you'd like to meet us, come check it out the annual Whitehall Sasquatch Festival in Whitehall, New York, on September 30th. Yeah, it's sure to be a good time. And if you're looking for a bonus episode to listen to, we put up a new one recently, so you might want to check it out. We did. We talked about various nursery rhymes and how they came about originally. If you've never checked out one of our bonus episodes... They're just $3 an episode, and you're not locked into any kind of subscription. So why not give one a try while you're washing some dishes after a barbecue or driving to the beach, or you just want a few moments to yourself? Yeah, you've got nothing to lose. You may like them and want to purchase one every month. You never know. They're a little different than our regular episodes. And lastly, when you do have an extra few minutes to yourself, head on over to your favorite listening platform, like Spotify or Apple, and give us a five-star rating and a comment. It really helps us out by pushing us to the top of the list. That way, new people can find us. We become more visible. All right. I think we've finished all of our housekeeping. So where did your mind wander this week? Well, for my story tonight, we're going to head to Maryland. So sit back, get comfy, and let's get into it. Have you ever heard of the Snallygaster? It may sound like a cute and cuddly little creature that you might want to pet and maybe take home with you. The Snallygaster? Yes, the Snallygaster. <laughs> but don't let the name fool you. The Snallygaster is a terrifying beast. Now, you may be asking yourself, Wes, what in the hell is a Snallygaster? Well, try and picture this. This massive creature has the back end of a reptile with a powerful tail that's covered in scales. However, its front half is mostly bird-like. It also has a massive 20-foot wingspan, and its beak is made of bulletproof metal with razor-sharp metallic teeth. If you're outside and you hear its terrifying scream, which, by the way, happens to sound a lot like a locomotive's whistle, and you hear the scream directly above you, you better find a place to run and hide quick because it can easily glide over you on silent wings. If it catches sight of you with its one gigantic cyclops eye and reaches out for you with its octopus-like tentacles, you have no chance, because once it grabs a hold of you, it will snatch you up and fly off with you, only to drain you of all your blood before dropping your useless corpse on the ground. Like I said before, the Snallygaster is a terrifying creature. And, according to legend, it's been using Frederick County, Maryland as its hunting ground since the 1700s 
or maybe even longer, depending on if the creature is related to the Thunderbirds that the indigenous people have encountered for thousands of years. When Frederick County was settled by German immigrants in the 1730s, they had no name for the menacing creature that was stalking their livestock, carrying off their neighbors. So they called it the Schnellegeister, or Quick Ghost. They only knew of one predator that could possibly kill a Snellegaster, the Dwayo, or half-wolf, half-man. Although they shared numerous stories about the epic battles between a Dwayo and a Snellegaster, they didn't rely on the supernatural werewolf or dogman to protect them. They used other knowledge that they had of such creatures, and they began painting hex signs on their barns, hoping to ward off the horrifying beasts. If a rush of wind suddenly blew in through an open window and scattered papers onto the floor, it could be the Snellegaster. If one of your pigs or goats went missing, it could be the Snellegaster. Although no one had actually seen the beast yet, the residents of South Mountain and Middleton Valley certainly believed it was out there. Local newspapers ran several articles about sightings, and they're pretty amusing to read. If you want to check them out, they can be found at the American Snellegaster Museum website. A few even mentioned flying saucers being witnessed in the sky, but the residents didn't find these flying discs concerning, since they had something scarier in their skies, the Snellegaster. In 1909, the Valley Register ran a terrifying article. The Snellegaster had snatched a man, drained his blood, and dropped his lifeless body on a hillside. Soon, other papers picked up the story, including the Baltimore Sun and Washington Post. Throughout the months of February and March of that year, dozens of stories were printed, detailing the horrible encounters between Maryland residents and the Snellegaster. The Snellegaster flew on enormous wings like a dragon. It had one eye in the middle of its forehead. It had a long pointed bill filled with razor-sharp teeth. It had the back end of a scaly reptile, and it had tentacles that could pick up any man. In March of 1909, another article ran about three men in Frederick County fighting the Snellegaster for an hour and a half outside of a railroad station. They managed to chase the creature off into the woods. There were so many articles that the Smithsonian Institute and President Teddy Roosevelt took notice. Even National Geographic got involved. The Smithsonian offered a $100,000 reward to anyone who could produce a piece of the Snallygaster's hide. That's a lot of money. That it is. National Geographic even went as far as wanting its photographers to mount an expedition in order to capture it on film. And Teddy Roosevelt? He wanted to postpone a safari that he was going to in Africa so he could go hunt the Snallygaster instead. But for some unknown reason, Roosevelt ended up going on safari as planned to Africa. And then, just like that, the sighting stopped for about two decades. Then in 1932, a Snallygaster was seen again near South Mountain. Residents assumed it was the offspring of the previous creature. Newspaper reporters went wild, writing up even more details about the Snallygaster that they hatched from monstrous eggs. Sometimes they were half-bird and half-black and yellow-striped wildcat. But whether the newspapers got the details right or wrong, the Snallygaster was still terrifying. And then in 1932, the Snallygaster 
met an unfortunate end. As it circled over one of the South Mountain's illegal moonshine stills, the fumes reached its powerful nose, and the poor creature was overwhelmed by the fumes. The creature flew in, quote, vicious circles before plunging to the earth. The cryptid, that was said to have a wingspan of 14 feet, somehow crash-landed in a massive 2,500-gallon vat of boiling mash, where it drowned. Revenue officers, who just happened to be on the scene, were in the process of blowing up the moonshine still at the exact same time, and although they saw the creature crash into the mash barrel, it was too late. All evidence of the Snallagaster was blown up with the illegal moonshine. What a coincidence that the Snallygaster's demise was perfectly timed. I know, but even if he hadn't died, when he came out of that mash barrel, he would have been drunk off his rocker. <laughs> Doing whirly gigs in the sky, loop-de-loops. <laughs> More than likely. So, what's the truth behind the Snallygaster? Did this lizard-bird hybrid really exist? There are a couple reasons why skeptics say it probably doesn't. First, they speculated that during the 1700s, residents may have created the Snallygaster stories to discourage escaped enslaved people from crossing their county. In 1932, after the Snallygaster's death by moonshine, it was revealed that the original Middletown Valley Register article in 1909 was a complete fake. Apparently, the Jersey Devil had been sighted somewhere else, and everyone was mesmerized and frightened by the stories. The editor of the Valley Register, George C. Roderick, worried that his readership would falter if he didn't have something to compete with the Jersey Devil stories. He got journalist Ralph S. Wolfe to concoct the article about the man who was found drained of all his blood. They also ran a letter that was written by a man from Ohio named Thomas C. Harbaugh. He said he had encountered the Snallygaster flying over his head on huge wings, screeching terribly. He said the beast had a 20-foot-long reptile-like tail. But it turned out that Harbaugh was a personal friend of the editor, George Roderick, and he had grown up in Middletown, Maryland. As for the resurgence of sightings in the late 1920s and the early 1930s, many skeptics believe that it was moonshiners who retold the story as a way to scare off people from being too nosy around their stills. What a better way to explain strange smells and clanging metal than to blame it on a terrifying reptile bird beast. That makes a lot of sense. It makes a hell of a lot of sense. But on the flip side, it was interesting to me that while I was reading through the newspaper articles on the Snallygaster Museum website, there were just as many about the Dwayo, the half-wolf, half-man predator. In the descriptions, he sometimes sounds like a dogman, and other times he sounds like a Bigfoot. So, if there could be a dogman or Bigfoot, and if people were also seeing flying discs, why couldn't the Snallygaster exist too? So, did everyone just jump on the Snallygaster bandwagon, or were there bona fide sightings mixed in? Oh, and by the way, the Snallygaster didn't just stay in Maryland. He was also spotted in New Jersey and West Virginia. In present time, 
You can attend the Snallygaster Beer Fest in Washington, D.C. in the early fall, which I think is pretty cool. You know, they've kept the tie between early moonshiners and the Snallygaster to create a massive craft beer festival that has over 350 different craft beers. The tickets are also called the Basilic Pass or the Kraken Pass. And the Beer Fest is actually a fundraiser for ArcadiaFood.org, which is a nonprofit organization that provides mobile farm markets, among other things. So that's cool. It's very cool. So something good came out of it. So if you ever find yourself in Maryland and hear what sounds like a locomotive whistle above you, run for cover, or you might just end up being the Snallygaster's next victim. <laughs> that was great. I like that. I'm glad you shared that one. We should probably say that it was a suggestion by one of our listeners that we cover the Snallygaster. So if any of our other listeners out there, if you have topics that you'd like us to cover, just give us a shout on Facebook or, or message us on our website and we'll look into them for you. Yeah, you know, I had heard of the Snallygaster a long time ago, but I found... I found it to be so far out there that I really never looked into it. But really, I'm glad I did because the connection with the moonshine stills is really intriguing to me. It makes a lot of sense. It does now. Yes. Hey, did you know at noon on May 8th, 2023, a homeowner in Hopewell Township, New Jersey had quite the surprise as a 2.2 pound rock punctured the roof, fell through their ceiling, ricocheted so hard off the floor it left a dent, then hit the ceiling again before coming to rest on the bedroom floor. When they picked up the six-inch-long rock, it was warm. Why? Because it was a 4.6-billion-year-old meteorite. That's why. Who'd have thunk it? So, Beth, uh, are you ready to share your story this week with us? Of course I am. I'll warn you, though, it's a little darker than your Snallygaster story. In 2019, an archaeological team got to work at the Crescent Hotel grounds in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. As they unearthed over 400 bottles, most filled with a yellow to brown unknown liquid, and 20 of them containing what looked like human tissue, the hotel employees felt vindicated. Here was further proof for why their hotel is haunted. And not just a little haunted. The Crescent Hotel in Eureka Springs has been called the most haunted hotel in America for quite a long time. And it's not a stretch to think the bottles of possible human tissue and the hauntings are connected. When it was built in 1886, the sprawling resort was intended for the rich and famous. It boasted four floors and 78 rooms inside its castle-like stone exterior. The central section boasts three stories of patios bookended by five-story peaked-roof additions on both ends. From the outside, it fits the common idea of what a haunted hotel should look like. Grand and impressive, but also a little scary. 
Inside, it's filled with dark wood, lovely fireplaces, and richly painted walls. For over 20 years, it catered to the elite. But by 1908, the resort's days had ended, and the massive, castle-like building became the Crescent College and Conservatory for Young Women. They advertised in the Cosmopolitan magazine, quote, Crescent College and Conservatory for Women, on top of the Ozarks, famous for healthfulness and beauty of location, $300,000 fireproof building, rooms with private bath, elevator, accredited junior college, general courses, art, music, expression, domestic science, end quote. It closed as a college in 1934. But then, in 1937, millionaire inventor and radio personality Norman G. Baker bought the hotel. Baker was a charlatan with a capital C. He now claimed he was a doctor with a miracle cure for cancer, and the Crescent Hotel became the Baker Hospital. What unsuspecting patients didn't know was that Baker had already been forced to leave the state of Iowa after practicing medicine without a license, and his miracle cure was a mixture of spring water, corn silk, carbolic acid, and ground-up watermelon seeds, which he would inject into his patients as often as seven times a day. Baker was reportedly a charismatic, handsome man who sent out colorful brochures to advertise his miracle cure, claiming that Eureka Springs was the Switzerland of America. He specifically chose patients with no immediate family, banking on the idea, literally, that no one would visit them. He would charge the patients a lot of money. Then eventually, he would send a letter to whatever family the patient had left, informing them of the sad news that their distant relative had passed away, and then he would ask them for money for the funeral arrangements. But in public, he was always the showman. He had a propensity for wearing purple or lavender, and he drove an electric lavender-painted car. Keep in mind, This was the tail end of the Great Depression, and he was quite proud of the luxuries his hospital afforded him. He tried to convince everyone and anyone that his Formula 5, that concoction of carbolic acid and watermelon seeds, and positive thinking was all anyone needed to cure cancer. Big hospitals were all corrupt, he said. All they wanted was your money but not him. He just wanted to drill holes into people's skulls and inject them with untested chemicals. Can you tell how I feel about this guy? (laughs) Yeah, he's he's quite the individual. Am I managing to mask my distaste? Not very well, am I? (laughs) And for the patients who screamed in pain, he set up a special psychiatric ward inside his health resort where they could be hidden away. In the 20 months that he ran his hospital, 40 people passed away. Suspicious locals complained until the FBI, thankfully, got involved. 
They were able to file federal mail fraud charges against him, and after a multi-day standoff with police and FBI agents, Baker was arrested. It was September 1, 1939. Baker served just four years in Leavenworth Prison. So, back to 2019, or I should say forward, forward to 2019, and the discovery of those 400 bottles on the Crescent Hotel property. Initially, they were found totally by accident. The landscape gardener for the hotel was simply overturning some dirt. Around 20 of the 400 bottles did seem to have some sort of tissue floating in them. Perhaps they were props that Baker used to convince people that his Formula 5 actually worked. Archaeologists also unearthed canisters of 16-millimeter film. One had the label Before Baker Treatments on it. In 1967, the Crescent Hotel suffered a massive fire. It had been purchased 20 years earlier by three businessmen who hoped to restore it to its former glory days as a premier hotel. Today, it is a premier hotel. It's been lovingly restored and renovated, and like I said, it's incredibly impressive. But anyone Googling the Crescent Hotel in Eureka Springs will come across enough reading material about how haunted it is to last them for days. With the exception of somewhere like Waverly Hills or the Winchester Mystery House, I've never seen so many first-person accounts of a haunted location. It was actually overwhelming, which is rarely the case when I'm researching a place. The current owners believe that there's been an uptick in activity since those 400 bottles were discovered, which frankly makes a lot of sense. So let's look at some of the many paranormal encounters. Room 218 is considered to be pretty active. Guests have reported seeing hands coming out of the bathroom mirror. They have reported hearing a man screaming as though he is falling from above their heads. They have also reported their room door opening on its own and then slamming shut. And when they try to open it, it's as if they are locked in. All of this activity is attributed to a poltergeist the hotel staff refer to as Michael. They believe he was an Irish stonemason who helped build the hotel back in the 1800s. They say he fell to his death from an upper floor and landed on the floor below, which just happens to be inside the walls of what's now room 218. Room 221 has an intriguing story. One day, a couple checked into the hotel and were given the key to room 221. As they stepped off the elevator into the second-floor hallway, they were greeted by a hotel staff member dressed in a lovely all-black Victorian outfit. The charming man offered to show them to their room. He took the key from them and let them into their room, And as they went in, they realized he was patiently waiting outside the door to be tipped. As the couple went to open their wallets, the staff member waited patiently outside their room, smiling politely. But when they turned around to hand him some money, he was gone. Neither of them had seen him leave their doorway. But 
they chalked it up as no big deal. They settled into their room and everything was fine. Later that evening, after, I assume they went out to dinner, they returned to room 221 and found that their room key would not unlock the door. Confused, they went down to the check-in desk. The equally confused concierge explained that they were accidentally given the key to room 321. When the couple explained that the key had worked earlier in the day and that a staff member in costume had let them in, the front desk clerk was even more confused. They didn't have anyone in costume working at the hotel. Isn't that a cool story? It is. I love that story. (laughs) Room 212 was once the office of the hotel's in-house doctor back in the late 1800s when the hotel first opened. Dr. John Fremont Ellis liked smoking cherry pipe tobacco. Guests in room 212 often comment about the great pockets of cherry pipe tobacco scented air that fills certain corners of the room. Room 419 seems to hold the spirit of a patient from Baker's days. Named Theodora, she is often spotted looking for her room key. Or housekeepers will enter the room and see her apparition waiting inside. She will tell them that she is a cancer patient of Dr. Baker's before she disappears. Now that's creepy. Mm-hmm. And I feel bad for her, and I'll, I'll say at the end why. The Crystal Dining Room is reportedly a hot spot as well. Allegedly, one Christmas, the large Christmas tree and packages underneath it were somehow moved from one end of the dining room to the other, and a circle of chairs was placed around the tree, all while the dining room was locked and completely empty. There is also the report that one morning, after ensuring that the dining room was ready for service the previous night, Employees entered the dining area to find menus scattered all over the floor. During a dinner service, one waitress claimed to have looked up into the huge mirror that hangs between the two main doors of the ballroom-like dining room to catch the reflection of a Victorian-era couple facing each other. The waitress looked all around to locate them, but there wasn't anyone in the room that it could remotely be. When she turned back to the mirror, the Victorian gentleman made eye contact with her, and then both he and his female companion faded away. Another common report is that employees and guests have seen a Victorian gentleman sitting alone at a table near the windows. If approached, he says, quote, I saw the most beautiful woman here last night, and I am awaiting her return, end quote. A few moments later, when they look back over, the gentleman is gone, but no one has ever really seen him get up and leave. The kitchen off of the dining room has its own entity, a small boy wearing Coke bottle glasses that at least one cook swears he saw skipping around the room. As I said, the reported encounters and sightings are enough to fill numerous books. From disembodied voices to full-blown apparitions that appear solid and interact with guests. I found a couple 
that happened in rooms that weren't specifically named as far as what room number they were, but they were definitely creepy. One involved two couples who were sharing a room with two queen beds. One of the women was pregnant at the time, and she was concerned because the guy from the other couple got up numerous times during the night to use the bathroom. And at one point as he walked by, all she could really see was the outline of a dark figure, but she assumed it was him. He yanked on her toes. Well, that's strange. Yeah. The following morning, when she asked him if he was all right since he'd gotten up numerous times to go to the bathroom, he kind of looked at her funny and said he didn't know what she was talking about because he hadn't gotten up at all. Another couple, again, I don't know what room they were in, but they complained to the front desk that they hadn't slept very well because it was so hot in their room that they just used the sheet to cover up with. But they kept waking up sweating profusely because somehow the heavy comforter had been tucked around them while they slept. Three times. (laughs) Weird. That's weird. In the hotel lobby, some people believe they've seen the apparition of Norman Baker. They describe a well-groomed and charismatic man dressed in a white linen suit and a lavender shirt. Some have even heard what sounds like a gurney being pushed down the hall. So, in a way, I had mentioned with the Theodora that I would come back around to this, but in a way, I'm personally kind of glad that the majority of spirits that people claim to see there are not from those hospital days. You know, it's Theodora and the Norman Baker guy. But the majority of them seem to be from when it was a hotel or when it was a college. And I'm glad about that because I would not like the idea of a bunch of people's energies and spirits from the hospital days being stuck there. I know. Just reliving it over and over and over and over. Yeah. And I don't even like the idea that they think his spirit is there because I don't think he deserves it. (laughs) No. The guy was a total piece of shit. So it definitely sounds like there's a lot going on at the Crescent Hotel. But I thought I'd end with this one since it's a little more lighthearted and not scary. There apparently is a ghost cat at the hotel as well. Affectionately known as Morris, he is often seen by guests just running down the halls, or they hear a cat meowing from just around the corner. Cat-loving guests will go to the front desk and report that there might be a stray cat running loose on a certain floor, only to be told that it's okay. It's just Morris. That's awesome. I know. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. I know. Well, if you'd like to know more about the Snellygaster or the Crescent Hotel, you can always use our sources in our show notes as a starting off point. Yeah, I always put the sources there. I know I forget. Last week, I totally forgot to mention that we have our sources, but this week we remembered. Um, But we always put our sources in whether we remember to say it or not. And it's a great place to start if you want to research for yourself. Um, We don't include everything. So there's there's always more stuff. But I will say I was honestly a little overwhelmed by the number of stories 
from the Crescent Hotel. Like generally, if I'm researching a place that claims to be haunted, there's a few things and I have to really dig to find a lot of um, witnesses and stories and stuff. Not the case with the Crescent Hotel. I mean, there were just websites after websites and pages after pages of, of experiences. Yeah, I can imagine. It does make it a lot easier when you're writing an episode <laughs> to, to have an abundance of, uh, of uh, material out there. To have too much stuff. Yeah. So definitely if you were into it and you want to you wanna learn more, check out those sources and I guarantee you will find more. Alrighty, Beth. I guess that about wraps it up for this episode. I guess so, my dear. We'll see you all next week for an all new episode of Where Our Minds Wander. See you soon.